Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Vino, Rob, welcome into the pod. How are you? I am doing great tonight, Drew. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. Down weekend overall. But, you know, we're already to Wednesday, so starting to feel like I found some winners. But, uh, heck, I'll take half of what you're doing. 20-6 and six run in college football. 77%. Tell me what you're doing right, Robbie. Um, it's always hard to say, Drew, because you always think you're doing it right. And sometimes the results are better than others. But I tell you the truth, um, stuff we've had early on in these non-conference games hasn't really been close. We've had easy, easy winners with a lot of totals. Obviously, I play a lot of totals. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been exceptionally good so far. And I think, you know, when you do as much work as we do in the off season, it tends to pay off early on before odds makers catch up. I found a couple of teams here, Drew, that – have um, really rewarded me so far this year in college football. And, of course, we know odds makers will make adjustments and things will catch up, and you don't get that gift forever. But it's just you know time to adjust for the second third of the season and uh, find some new things out there. So we're ready to roll this weekend. Card looks good. All right, well, let's find some winners here. One five one one five two seven p.m. Eastern kick here. Stanford at Oregon State, 57 and a half, with the Cardinal laying four or four and a half in Corvallis. Yeah, the biggest concern here, Drew, for me would be Stanford's suddenly deteriorating offensive line. More injuries to the offensive line now. Uh, the whole entire left side of that offensive line is going to be new players, left guard, left tackle. Remember, to start the season, um, they had their starting left tackle go down, Walker Little, and he's an All-American type player. And now, this week, um, their left guard, Devery Hamilton, out of this game. So they were sacked. Quarterback K.J. Costello was sacked five times last week by Oregon. Now, Oregon State's not necessarily a sack team. They're not going to come at you with a vicious defensive front the way that... um, the way that Oregon did. And this, in a lot of instances, for Stanford is a huge step down in class. I mean, they've been through USC, Central Florida, in Orlando, and then Oregon last week. So they've been run through the rigor here, and they've been beaten up pretty good on the scoreboard. It's a chance for them to get back here. Um, the left side of the offensive line, as I mentioned, troublesome. I don't know if Oregon State can take advantage of it. That would be uh, my concern there. But I do think that Oregon State offensively can take advantage of this Stanford defense, which just is not the same. It's really unrecognizable from a few years ago what we're accustomed to seeing out of Stanford. And perhaps Oregon State, with their balance, will score some points. I looked at the total early this week and still might be able to get there with an over because I do think Costello and company will put up points uh, through the passing game. And I think Oregon State can answer. So that may be a possibility. Won't play the game either way, sidewise. Um, but looking at the total still. Robbie, next game up, we got 1-5-3-1-5-4 here. Indiana at Michigan State in the Big Ten. Looks like uh, Sparty laying 14 at home, 
44 the total in East Lansing. Yeah, I'm inclined to take the 14 with Indiana, Drew. And, you know, there's a lot of fundamental reasons to like Michigan State, especially on the defensive side. Nobody or only one opponent so far this season has gained over 265 total yards against them. That opponent was Western Michigan, put up 352, but Tulsa, Arizona State, and Northwestern all could not achieve any better than 265 total yards. And Michigan State, of course, a lot is made of the Auburn defensive line, and just as much in Big Ten country is made of the Michigan State defensive line. Those guys have put together 15 quarterback sacks in four games, which is troublesome if Peyton Ramsey is the starting quarterback here. Not that he's immobile, but he's less mobile than Michael Penix would be. Uh, So Indiana up front in the trenches may have their hands full because all you need to do is go back to the Ohio State game a couple of weeks back. And Ohio State's the only real opponent Indiana's played so far this year. They got sacked five times in that game by Ohio State. So there's fundamental reasons to obviously come to the conclusion that Michigan State's the better team. However, I can't get into the habit, um, nobody should get into the habit really of laying this many points with Michigan State. The the fact that the total's 44 really tells you, and it's the same in almost every Michigan State game, even when they're high-priced favorite, the total's low because they just can't score. As much as I just applauded their defense, you could really talk negatively about their offense. They can't run the football this year only averaging 3.9 yards per attempt. And they really don't throw it that well either. Um, you know, they beat Northwestern 31-10 to 10 last week. That was probably the most complete game they've played outside of Western Michigan. And they only outgained Northwestern by 70 yards. So I don't think Indiana's going to win the game. I'm just of the opinion that 14 points is too much to give them. They have weaponry on the perimeter that can make some plays and enough to keep it close in what should be a low-scoring game. I think uh, Indiana, if I had to play, I would play Indiana plus 14. All right, Robbie, from the Big Ten, let's head to the ACC. We got the number one-ranked Clemson Tigers at North Carolina here, seeing a total of 60 minus 26.5, the Tigers laying on the highway. Wow, it sounds like a lot, Drew, when you say it like that, 26.5. But we know that these teams... Uh, The upper echelon teams can oftentimes make big numbers look small. I, you know, am starting to be of the belief that the first couple of wins by North Carolina, those comeback wins, the one against South Carolina where they were buried into the fourth quarter and came from behind and won, the game against Miami where they were behind and came back in the fourth quarter and won, I'm starting to think that they maybe have been a little bit fraudulent. Not much because South Carolina and Miami haven't shown us anything to believe that they were really a whole lot better than North Carolina. But I don't know that North Carolina, you know, after those two games, I think they were, you know, moved up power ratings wise and maybe undeservedly. They've come back to earth with a loss to Wake Forest. I mean, that Wake Forest game was not as close as the 24 to 18 final indicates. And then, of course, they get behind Appalachian again. It's become a recurring theme through four games for North Carolina to get behind and have to find a way to come back. As a first-half bet this year, if you go against them, you're 3-1 and in first-half action. If you play on them in the second half, you're 4-0. and So you can see the discrepancy there uh, early on for Mac Brown's team. I think that 
they'll probably get behind Clemson and be unable to come back this time. So for me, it, 26 and a half is never in my wheelhouse to lay that type of price. But I think you might be able to get away with it with Clemson here. Um, certainly it's an ACC game, which will draw Clemson's attention because it's conference action. And what they've done to the last three offenses that they've played, Texas A&M, Syracuse, and Charlotte, holding them to 26 points combined, leads me to believe that North Carolina is not going to do any better than those teams did. And the most that any of those scored was 10. Uh, so for me, it would be Clemson or a pass in that game. And heading to the SEC, Robbie, in the east side here, Kentucky at South Carolina. The Gamecocks laying three in Columbia, 51 and a half the total. Yeah, situationally, it's equal for both sides, Drew. They're both in their third consecutive SEC game, and they both have a bye week on deck. So this will be an all-out war between Eastern Division teams that are kind of settled into that middle rung. You know, there's Georgia, there's Florida, there's Missouri, and then there's really the rest. Um, I think Kentucky might have suffered a bit of a letdown last week at Mississippi State. They, they went in there. They attracted some money. There was action on Kentucky because uh, the price went down. And they walk out of there with a 28-13 to 13 loss. But I just can't help thinking that the week before that they had put all of their eggs in that basket against Florida had a chance to win with a game-winning field goal. The field goal was missed. And subsequently, Florida handed off and went 79 yards the other way and opened up the lead to 29-21, which became the final. I think there may have been some dejection there on the road to Starkville. And they didn't handle Garrett Schrader well at all. The true freshman quarterback for Mississippi State was described as a man among boys by Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops after that game was over. Um, he ran the ball well. 11 carries, 125 yards, threw the ball well, 17 of 22 for 180. And like I say, Kentucky hadn't really seen a dual threat up to that point. I mean, Mike Glass for Eastern Michigan had a pretty decent day against them. A dual threat quarterback seemed to be giving Kentucky a little bit of trouble. Don't think they'll see that here in Tyler Holinsky, better passer than runner. So maybe this offense suits Kentucky's defense a little bit better. Um, South Carolina, I don't know what to make of them, Drew. I think the whole thing's falling apart at the seams, and this might be a season-saving game here. I think if I'm Will Muschamp, um, kind of rallying the troops in the locker room all week long for this contest because South Carolina, again this year, being beaten at the point of attack. Their line of scrimmage numbers in the trenches are not good. They're uh, minus numbers. And if you can't win in the trenches in the SEC, you're just not going to win a lot of games. They become more finesse than power. And that's not what Will Muschamp told us he had to start the year. He said this was the best group that he had coached during his tenure at South Carolina. So I'm just not real high on that team. I would look for Mark Stoops' club to come back and get a point spread cover here. All right, Robbie. And talking about uh, top epsilon teams with Clemson earlier, we're talking number two ranked Alabama Crimson Tide hosting the Old Miss Rebels here. Lane 38 in Tuscaloosa. Talking about Alabama minus 38, 61 the total, Robbie. Yeah, boy, that defense last week with four freshmen inside the front seven didn't look too bad for Alabama. And Southern Miss is not a bad offense. I know they're Conference USA. They're not Power Five. Uh, but Jack Abraham and company can move the football through the air. 
And last week, they couldn't move the ball at all. Uh, take it from somebody who had over 61 and a half in that game and landed the game landed 56. I certainly thought that Southern Miss was going to find their way to 17 against the Alabama defense, which the week before against South Carolina had shown some. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Vulnerability didn't happen. All the freshmen involved played well for Alabama. It's just another game under their belt. And now Matt Corral, the freshman quarterback for Ole Miss, is going to find out about this defense as they travel there. This is certainly the stiffest test of the season for Mississippi. I think the most impressive point about them so far has been the way their defense has improved. Remember, they hired two ex-head coaches as coordinators this year, and Mike McIntyre on the defensive side has really done a nice job. Ole Miss has cut their total yardage per game allowed down to 383. And last week, against a really, really good California Golden Bear defense. They put up 525 yards. Lost the game, but 525 total yards against Cal uh, certainly should be an alarm that perhaps the Mississippi offense is starting to get used to Rich Rod and that offensive system that he brought in there. I think there's better things to come down the road for Ole Miss. I'm not going to recommend laying 36.5 with Alabama, although I do believe that the Mississippi State defense in all likelihood will get torched in a way that they haven't been torched all season long, weren't necessarily tested by Arkansas, Southeast Louisiana, or California. Um, And even in the Southeast Louisiana game, a good FCS team, they put up 29 points. So I could see Ole Miss – you know, being is stepping up in class here against this offense and being overwhelmed. The question is, can that offense, which improved last week, go on the road to Tuscaloosa and uh, Tuscaloosa and do some damage? Thirty-six and a half might be enough um, to get a cover. It certainly might. I could see that happening, but uh, I'm not willing to play it either way. Robbie, let's talk some Vanderbilt football here. Moving over to Nashville, looking uh, hasn't been a, a very good start for the Commodores yet. They're favored by almost a touchdown, and uh, reason why they're playing a MAC team: Northern Illinois at Vanderbilt. Vandy minus six and a half, fifty-one and a half the total. Robbie, well, boy, Vanderbilt. I mean, two of the three games they played so far are Georgia and LSU, and that's difficult. But we've talked about them a lot, Drew, and I'll again. Just to repeat myself uh, on the podcast, just go back to last year. The second half of last year, when this defense went into full-blown collapse mode, uh, all the way through the bowl game, they were shredded on the defensive side. It's unlike Derek Mason to have this poor of a defense. You could attribute some of this year's miserable defensive numbers to the fact that they've played Georgia and LSU, but... You know, Purdue put up 42 on them as well. Vanderbilt's not difficult to move the football against at all anymore. Uh, Northern Illinois, on the other hand, doesn't move the football well enough to make you believe that they're going to do a ton of damage here. 49 points in three games. They had an off week last week. Uh, I just don't, you know, if there's a perfect elixir 
for the Vanderbilt defense, it would be this Northern Illinois offense. Obviously, they're going through some uh, trials and tribulations, having a new offensive system and a new defensive system. All of that's new to them. But in years past, we could count on Northern Illinois to at least be a good rushing football team. And this year, they're not running the football at all. 77 yards per game on average. They've become much more of a passing team, 270 through the year. That would be a little scary for Vanderbilt because the secondary just is not, you know, the the pass rush and the secondary combined, they're supposed to go hand in glove. When they're both bad, it's not good. We're going to see here if Vanderbilt is just a victim of their opposition so far, which has been really dynamic offensively. Uh, the three teams that they've played can move the football. Remember, when Purdue beat them, they did have Elijah Sindelar at quarterback for the majority of that game. Um, so this will be a real test for Vanderbilt. I'd rather watch it and try and learn off of it about both of these teams. But I do think if Vanderbilt's ever going to put up a good defensive game, it would be here against Northern Illinois. Robbie, moving to the Big 12, we got Kansas at TCU. The Horned Frogs land 16-49 the total. Boy, 16 seems like a lot, Drew, I have to say. Uh, You know, Kansas right now has the ability to move the football both ways. On the ground with Puka Williams since he came back. This will be his third full game back, or excuse me, his fourth full game back. Came back for the Coastal Carolina game. They did not play well offensively that day, but they went to BC, hung some good numbers, came back against West Virginia, lost a game, but gained 417 yards. And like I say, they're balanced all of a sudden uh, under less miles. So for a TCU team that, for the most part, is one-dimensional, um, I think that Kansas probably has enough weaponry to hang in here. TCU's defense still pretty good, but their offensive line uh, has allowed three sacks in all three of their games. And you need to note that the defensive opponents were Arkansas Pine Bluff. They got them three times. Purdue, which really doesn't have much of a pass rush, they got them three times. And an SMU, which has certainly uh, improved on the defensive side, they got them three times last week. So KU might be able to get there uh, and and stop that passing game as well, force Texas Christian to be a sole rushing team, which is what they've shown us so far. And I don't know that that's good enough to cover that type of number. Kansas, the roster... You know, we, we tend to treat Kansas by the name on their jersey, uh, the team name on their jersey, but the roster has a lot of improved talent. So I think that Les Miles has them going in the right direction. I think Gary Patterson's got his hands full. They were in chase mode all week last week against SMU. That was a solid winner for us, plus the eight points in that contest. And I just don't think that I could get there laying anything near this type of price with TCU, even if it is against Kansas. And, Robbie, staying in the Big 12, we got a good one here with Kansas State at Oklahoma State. Uh, Seeing a total of 60, Oklahoma State Cowboys laying four at home in what the the, the house that T-Boone Pickens built. Rest in peace, T-Boone Pickens. But either way, the Cowboys laying four at home. Yeah, and this will be your prototypical contest where one team tries to just slow the game down, limit possessions, grind clock. You take a look at Kansas State's play calling percentages this year, Drew. 72% of their play calls are running plays. 28 are pass plays. That's, you know, almost three out of every four. That's unheard of 
in modern day football to be that heavy of a rush team. But remember, Chris Kleiman comes from North Dakota State. That's the MO up there. Uh, so it's no surprise to see them rushing the football the way they are uh, here at KSU right now. They're going to have to control the clock, though, because Oklahoma State can score by the time you can snap your fingers. And I, you know, I go back to the Houston game a couple of weeks ago. They played on Friday night against Washington State. And Dana Holgerson totally went against the personality of his air raid offense and the talent that they have on that side of the football and decided that he needed to go to a slowdown game. He quit on the up-tempo stuff and figured, I have to limit possessions in order to stay in this contest with Washington State. And they ran the ball pretty well, and they chewed up some clock pretty well, and they lost the game because Washington State doesn't need clock to score points. So that's almost the same thing you have here. Kansas State, if they're going to do that, which is obviously it's predictable, it's what they're going to do, uh, they better score on the vast majority of their possessions because Oklahoma State's going to answer and Oklahoma State's going to answer with touchdowns. They've been through some um, pretty tough games so far, uh, especially the Texas game where they lose 36-30 last week. Defensively, they're nothing to write home about. But Sean Gleason has come from Princeton and kept this offense motoring the same way it has under Mike Gundy for the last dozen years. Uh, it's a difficult – I guess it depends which side of the fence you stand on here. Do you like the team that can use up the clock and limit possessions – or do you like the team that can score extremely quick? For me, I think KSU is going to really be tested in a way that they haven't been tested so far this year. Mississippi State didn't bring that to the table against them. Remember, Mississippi State had the quarterback problem. Tommy Stevens played two and a half quarters with a hurt shoulder. Garrett Schrader got some time as a true freshman. KSU came from behind and won that game. But Bowling Green, as lousy as they are, and Nichols State from FCS football are not true tests here. Oklahoma State will be a true test for Kansas State. Robbie, next game up. It's a good breakdown there in the Big 12. Uh, I, I, in terms of you know which way to, to go with that Kansas State-Oklahoma State game, it was interesting how you said the, the team to run clock or not. I, I'm interested in your kind of view of how good the quarterback position at Kansas State is. Well, it's experience, that's for sure. And it's really nothing that, you know, what they're doing isn't that far different than what Bill Snyder did. And you know, Kansas State has a tendency to give Big 12 teams, maybe one or two a year, some difficulty with the way they play. Um, I just don't know. You know, I look at that defense and wonder if they're going to be able to handle Spencer Sanders, um, Tylen Hill. Um, that, that team for uh, Chubba Hubbard for Oklahoma State just has NFL talent all over the place. And I don't know if KSU is good enough, Drew, to tell you the truth, to be able to put points up, touchdowns up on their on the vast majority of their possessions. I think Oklahoma State will. So for me, all, all these things are situational. It's not a blanket statement that I'd rather have the team that's going up tempo over the grinded out team. But I think in this situation, the fact that Kansas State has been so untested by an offense that's as high powered as this one. I'd lean towards Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State doesn't care where they play either. It doesn't matter home or away. They're good offensively no matter where they play. 
Robbie, next game up, uh, you talked about Mississippi State, change of quarterback position, and of course, you know, finding change, in, in my opinion, it's one of, if not the best way to win at sports betting. So do we find one here with Mississippi State? They're uh, a tough place to play here in Jordan-Hare. Auburn at home, um, it, it's never an easy place, especially at night. We got a minus 10 here, the Auburn Tigers laying at home. 46 and a half the total and with Gus Malzahn calling the plays at Auburn their offense is a lot better Robbie he you know say what you want about him in terms of a head coach he's one of the best play callers in the country in my opinion um laying 10 and a half that's a different story against the Mississippi State team that overall at least Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last week, I thought looked pretty good. What's your view here, Mississippi State at Auburn? Yeah, and let me backtrack real quick here, Drew, as I kind of meshed together last year's Oklahoma State star running back Justice Hill with this year's star receiver Tylen Wallace and last year and called him Tylen Hill. Receiver's name is Tylen Wallace in case Oklahoma State fans are listening to me and want to correct me. I'll correct myself first. Um, you know, the, the only reason you wouldn't play Auburn in this game, in my estimation, is that you're anticipating them to have a letdown off of the big Texas A&M win. That game was really hyped up. It was a primetime contest. It was a road game where Auburn went in, did what they had to do, and walked out with the W. But I'm not sure that's enough for me to buy into Mississippi State for a lot of reasons. The SEC trench play, as I said earlier, is how you win games when you're involved in conference action and right now, Auburn is just killing it in the trenches. doesn't matter if we want to talk about their offensive line or their defensive line, but they've had two opponents so far, Oregon and Texas A&M, that are in all likelihood at the end of the season, they'll both end up in the top 20. You could argue that they'll end up in the top 15, those two teams. Um, they very well might. They're that good. They're better than anybody Mississippi State's played so far for sure. In those two games, Auburn outrushed them individually by 116 yards and 137 yards. It breaks down to 4.7 to 2.7 a carry. When you can get a plus two-yard advantage on every running play uh, against opponents like that, that's huge. They out uh, Combined numbers there, Auburn ran for 399 yards. Their opponents ran for 146. And again, those are two real good teams. If I switch it over... Auburn's defensive line got six sacks in those two games. Obviously, that defensive line, we've talked enough about it. Everybody knows how good they are if they've watched them. But the offensive line only gave up two sacks to those two teams, which is really just as impressive because I think a lot of people might have had still a couple of question marks about that Auburn offensive line, but they've answered the bell in both of those games. And remember, neither one of those games were played at home. One's on a neutral field. One's a true road game. Auburn comes up roses in both. I don't know who's going to quarterback this game for Mississippi State because Tommy Stevens and Garrett Schrader, according to reports I saw this afternoon, are both taking an equal number of snaps with the first team. Uh, Stevens' shoulder is much better. He can play. He could start if he had to. 
if it's Garrett Schrader, and I just talked about Mark Stoops calling him a man among boys with his dual threat ability, I don't know that that dual threat ability works in your first SEC road game, although everybody says this kid's oblivious to his surroundings. And that's a good thing, but I still don't know if you walk into Jordan Hare and just start um, doing what Johnny Manziel did to Alabama via the dual threat quarterback. He's, he's not yet Nick Fitzgerald either. Um, so if he plays, I don't see him causing problems for the Auburn defensive front. I think that last year's game where Auburn went to Starkville and got crushed probably lingers in the back of Auburn's head. And that's why I don't anticipate a letdown here. It's a Western division game for starters and the revenge angle, I think adds to it. So I don't see Auburn coming home and letting down here. There's just a ton of reasons why they're better fundamentally and why Mississippi State is, you know, come down in power ratings this year. And they just don't have the same type of defensive capability that they had last year with guys like Jonathan Simmons, Jonathan Abraham, those guys. I think Kylan Hill and the quarterback play here will be in trouble under duress all game long. It's a large, it's a double digit number, but unless you believe in the Auburn letdown, I don't think you play against them right now. They're like a freight train coming because head coach Gus Malzahn said, watch out. Bo Nix is getting better every single week. And it's a little bit of a scary thought if he's getting better every single week. Robbie, great breakdown there. Mississippi state at Auburn. Let's head to Norman, Oklahoma. We got Texas tech at Oklahoma. I had Oklahoma circled here, Robbie, uh, looking to bet on the Sooners. However, when the number came out, man, it's a hefty number and it was bought up to now 27. So laying four touchdowns to Texas tech, that's getting a little expensive, but 70 and a half being the total. What are you thinking here with the red Raiders and Sooners? Yeah, a lot of that buy-up, Drew, is due to the quarterback situation at Texas Tech. Obviously, Alan Bowman won't play, but he didn't play a lot last year. And in his place came this week's replacement, Jet Duffy. Jet Duffy played a lot of uh, football last year, started three games. He's a dual-threat quarterback, different than Bowman. Can he cause Oklahoma's defense some troubles? We'll see. It's possible. I mean, Oklahoma played De'Eric King in their first game of the season, and they allowed 31 points and they allowed 241 rushing yards with a dual threat quarterback at the helm. So if you just take that into consideration, you would say, hey, Texas Tech, which is gaining over 500 per game. Now, they've you know, played some subpar competition to build those numbers. And then when they faced Arizona, they wound up losing in their last game. But still, I think on the field, X's and O's wise, Duffy could be. Um, a threat to Oklahoma, which has never been overwhelming on the defensive side of the football. It becomes a score fest in my estimation. And my power rating showed this game to be Oklahoma 23 and a half better. So that in essence tells me that, you know, the line is attributing three and a half points to the difference between Bowman and Duffy at quarterback. And I'm not so sure that that it's worth that much. It, Duffy's not as accurate a thrower as Alan Bowman is. So maybe that can come into play here. I mean, he's probably more apt to throw an interception than Alan Bowman is. But then again, he's more apt to make a play with his legs than Bowman would be. So uh, for me, I think I would take Matt. Is, you know, Matt Wells is going to be tested this year. I, I he had Jordan Love in that Utah State offense last year, and he's tried. If you look at the play-calling percentages, he's tried to balance this team off run-pass-wise um, way far more than they ever were under Cliff Kingsbury. Um, 
But again, those numbers that we see can be somewhat padded because of the leads they've had in games or because they chased Arizona. So um, I don't know how true they are yet, but I do know Matt Wells likes to be a lot more balanced in his spread system than Kingsbury did in the air raid. I think Texas Tech maybe with 27. I mean, I would do it and hold my nose, but I think the over is probably a far better play. Robbie, we got FAU at Charlotte moving to Conference USA here. 65 the total. Interesting number here. Really an interesting handicap for all the uh, smaller conference betters out there. The Charlotte 49ers team has looked good under a new head coach. And I'll tell you, FAU is one of the tougher teams, in my opinion, to handicap this year, Robbie. Just because, you know, it was Ohio State and UCF, you know, both teams blowing them out. And, and, you know, you kind of go for something there. Then they're up at a MAC team and kind of, you know, run away from Ball State. So it's kind of like, man, they're somewhere in in between those two, but there's a lot of distance in between those two. So how to handicap FAU going forward is a little difficult for me. Either way, we're seeing a 65, the total Charlotte laying minus one at home. Well, I think the one thing for sure where Florida Atlantic is concerned is they're just not good defensively. Um, Even if we minus out the two far superior opponents, which were Central Florida and Ohio State, you expect them to gain yardage. You expect them to score points. They averaged 46.5 against FAU, and they had 469 and 574 total yards, respectively, really destroyed FAU in both those games. And their defenses kept FAU quiet. But when they played Ball State, their offense came to life, but their defense couldn't stop Ball State. 31 points, 470 yards. Charlotte against this type of opponent from what I've seen with Brian Reynolds at quarterback and Benny LeMay on the ground, that ground game is something special as far as, you know, a group of six teams are concerned. Conference USA teams are concerned. Fits right in to be, um, to be able to project that they're going to move the football against Florida Atlantic. Now the question for me would be before I jump in with both fists and play this game over would be can Florida Atlantic score on Charlotte? And the answer is obviously yes, Drew, because they moved the football extremely well. They ran 87 plays in their up-tempo offense against Ball State, got almost 500 yards, 498, and 41 points. And Charlotte just hadn't stopped anybody whatsoever so far this season. They stopped Massachusetts, 17 points. Might be the worst team in FBS football right now. But Appalachian State went crazy on them. Uh, obviously, Clemson was going to go crazy on them. This is going to be a severe step down in class for Charlotte. They just faced Clemson's defense last week. They're going to walk in and see FAUs. It's a conference game, uh, so both teams will be focused. But I, I could very well see this being like a ping-pong ball going back and forth, score for score here. Charlotte, for my money, probably has too much firepower for Florida Atlantic, but I don't want to bet it that way. I think Lane Kiffin's team will score, I don't want to say at will, but I think they'll score freely in this contest. So a number in the mid-60s, to me, Charlotte probably not recognized enough yet for how good that offense has been. I mean, an offense right now that's uh, rushing the football to the tune of 261 yards per game And if we take out Clemson, where we knew they weren't going to be able to run against Clemson, even though they got 150 yards, that number climbs even higher. Robbie, great breakdown, man, there with that FAU at Charlotte. We got Virginia at Notre Dame here, a big one 
on Saturday. We got uh, Notre Dame laying 12 and a half here, 48 and a half the total. Yeah, I see a lot out there, Drew, and I've heard a lot out there about, you know, Virginia potentially winning this game outright or at least keeping it close. I don't know that I'm in that camp. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but what I saw out of Notre Dame last week against Georgia certainly said to me that they have upgraded quite a bit. They did not get destroyed by an SEC power in that contest. They were right in that game the entire way. They get beat total yardage-wise by only 18 yards. Um, They didn't do a lot on the ground, but Ian Book was very good through the air, 275 yards. And they didn't let Georgia move the football the way most people thought they're going to turn around hand it off to DeAndre Swift, and that offensive line is just going to plow, steamroll Notre Dame over. And none of that happened in that game. So I give a lot of credit to Brian Kelly. They had to go on the road to play that one. It's the second time in either three years or two years that they played Georgia extremely close. I think they lost 20-19 to the time they played them prior. Um, Virginia, to me, the last couple games say a lot, and I like this team. Uh, Bryce Perkins, nice quarterback, but they did struggle to get past FSU. They came back and didn't necessarily overwhelm Old Dominion. So that leaves me with a victory over William and Mary by five touchdowns and an opening day win against Pittsburgh um, in their first game under new offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. We've seen improvement from Pittsburgh since then. I don't know that Virginia is all they're cracked up to be. I don't know that they're ready to take on Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's the better team in every aspect. So uh, for me, it would be Notre Dame here and not at all. Robbie, next up, we got Coastal Carolina at App State in a Sunbelt matchup here. 59 the total, minus 15 and a half. That's Appalachian State laying in Boone. Yeah, um, you want to talk about, you know, schedules the last three games uh, for Coastal Carolina, I mean, Massachusetts and Norfolk State, the last two, 108 to 35 combined victory. It's not great. I mean, it looks nice for Coastal, but it doesn't really prep them for Appalachian State. The win in Kansas certainly surprised me, 12 to 7. I mean, that's the game Puka Williams came back, and Kansas just couldn't do anything offensively. That may be more of an outlier than reality. I know one thing after four weeks. The Appalachian State offense is really good. Um, They went into North Carolina last week, won that game straight up. We played over in that contest. Over 58 teams got to 65. App State uh, has moved the football consistently in every game they've played so far. I just talked about how they ran over Charlotte, which is not a good defensive team. But the North Carolina game, pretty impressive to get to 34. Uh, I don't think they'll have any trouble here against Coastal Carolina. I'm more inclined to tell you the truth with these two teams to go ahead and play the over because I'm not as impressed. And I don't know, Drew, you follow the Sun Belt really close. Um, You know, to me, Appalachian State is not shown us so far to be the type of dominant Sun Belt defensive club that they've been since really since they came into that conference. And Charlotte did a number on them. UNC got 469 yards against them and 31 points. So I really question the Appalachian State D, which leads me to believe Coastal, despite the fact that their competition level wasn't great the last two weeks, will be able to move the football and score some. And I know Appalachian State's going to score here because, like I say, that offense on all levels is really, really good and really explosive. It's not 
the same as Scott Satterfield's offense. Elijah Drinkwitz here puts a little more explosiveness into this team. So maybe for me, it'll be over the total in that game. Yeah, I think you're on to something with App State's uh, defense taking a step down, Robbie. I, I wouldn't argue with that. And Drinkwitz um, calling the plays, you know, keep in mind he's a he's a Malzahn disciple. So uh, in terms of just where the concentration is, it's just it seems like it, anyway, it's more on the App State side. So uh, possibly an overlook there at 59 and a half. Cincinnati at Marshall up next, Robbie. We got 47 and a half being the total minus three and a half or minus four Cincy laying in this one. Yeah, this could be a real good defensive battle, Drew, because I like both of these defenses. Remember, Marshall went to Boise and only lost 14-7. to That was a really nice defensive effort out of Marshall that night. Um, right after Boise had come off of that huge second half against Florida State and won outright in Tallahassee. So a lot of respect for Marshall after that game. He got two dual threat quarterbacks here Desmond Ritter on one side Isaiah Green on the other side I think this whole game Cincinnati's a little bit better defensively in my mind but not enough to give them a decisive edge Uh, Marshall as I just mentioned went to Boise and held them to 14 points so if you if you call them neck and neck on the defensive side when I looked at this game I think it comes down solely to the quarterback play which one of these guys is going to make uh, more plays and I just think that Ritter at this point in time is more consistent than Isaiah Green I think Isaiah Green's more prone to make the mistake Desmond Ritter is not uh, so I would look towards Luke Fickle's team in that game but I think under 47 and a half is certainly a good way to look I can see a contest final score here you know somewhere in the 24 to 16 24 to 17 realm uh, I think unders probably and you hate to play under 47 and a half in college football nowadays because that number just you can get over it by mistake. But I do think these two defenses will have their way with the opposing offenses. Robbie, next up, ECU at ODU talking East Carolina at Old Dominion. We got 47 and a half being the total with Old Dominion minus three at home. What are you thinking here with the Pirates and Monarchs? I, yeah, I don't know. For me, we could just blow right by this game, Drew. I mean, East Carolina had some expectations coming in. New head coach Mike Houston comes over from JMU. Houston Aylers, a quarterback that, especially in the world of college fantasy football, everybody was heaping praise upon. And, I mean, they can't score against nine guys, never mind against 11. So it's it's difficult for me to play them even at plus three. I don't want to lay three with Old Dominion either. Uh, Old Dominion comes off a really charged up game against Virginia. And the week before, excuse me, two weeks before that, they were really charged up for Virginia Tech. Two in-state teams, kind of big brother type situation where they held their own. So they probably deserve to be favored here against East Carolina. But I have no clue how they're going to react in the favorites role. I mean, being a dog and feeling like the you know state stepchild against Virginia Tech and Virginia is one thing, having to lay three against East Carolina where they look at their schedule and say, if we don't beat Old Dominion, who the heck are we going to beat? Um, you know, this game just to me is nothing either way. Robbie, last game up here for the segment, New Mexico at Liberty. Looks like Liberty minus seven at home. High total here, Robbie, 71 and a half. Yeah, how about the way they went after that total right away, Drew? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. 
New Mexico's defense is nothing but holes. You and I talked about New Mexico preseason when we were projecting the Mountain West and how Bob Davey was going to an air raid system to try and save his job. Um, I know that when we talked, you were anti-New Mexico. Uh, if you still are, good for you because it's probably the best way to be right now. But in more than that, you have to be anti-New Mexico Lobos defense. They just don't stop anything or anybody. Last week's game against New Mexico State was a wild slugfest. This could turn into one as well. I think Liberty won this game last year. I'm trying to remember. I do remember Stephen Calvert. Um, they got off to a fast start, and I think they probably did win that game, but it was high scoring. New Mexico's pass defense this year might be worse, and Calvert and company, now that Hugh Freeze is you know, on the sidelines running the show, um, they looked pretty good last week, uh, last game out against Buffalo when they won 35-17. to 17. That was kind of a regroup game after getting beat by Syracuse, getting beat by Lafayette, and then you know taking it to Buffalo, who had just come off a nice performance against Penn State. Uh, didn't get the cover, but they were in that game all the way through the mid-third quarter. So for me, again, I understand why the betters played this game over because there's probably no other way to play it. What's it safe to? What number is it safe to to still keep playing over? I would think that, you know, if 42 to 34 is a legitimate projected final, which is 76. So maybe there's still a little room in there to get involved with over the total between these two teams that are just going to wing it around all over the lot. So uh, expect a lot of points. And uh, Robbie, you bring up New Mexico. Yeah, a negative. I think we both were into it. And, yep. But but when you break down their their schedule so far because i bet the under four and a half and with that win against new mexico state man i'm looking down the schedule i still feel confident but breaking down where the bet sits now i mean they're two and one yeah i mean your next three weeks liberty san jose state and colorado state if you can survive those three and san jose state just walked into Fayetteville and walked out with a victory and colorado state probably can win an offensive slugfest with them but if you can get through those two three games and still be under the total, then you're going to probably waltz home because the remainder of the schedule, uh, New Mexico won't be favored whatsoever and in all likelihood won't win any of those last six games that they're going to play. So for you, I think, Drew, in that ticket, it probably boils down to these three games. Yeah, well, th- thanks, Robbie, for the for the vote of confidence. Uh, but yeah, I think no. you'll win. <laughs> I really think you'll win. I think San Jose and Colorado State are better teams. Uh, what San Jose sh- showed last week picking off uh, Nick Starkle five times. And believe me, Nick Starkle had a lot to do with that. He kind of ticked me off last week with the play. He couldn't have been worse in the clutch. But um, San Jose State and Colorado State right now are better football teams than New Mexico is. And, you know, in offensive and high-scoring games, I could see both of them outscoring New Mexico. He's Robbie Vino. And, guys, you can get his full college football season at sportsmemo.com for a huge discount here. Coupon code CFB499 at checkout on a 20 and 6 run in college football. That's 77%. His last 26 college football games. And Robbie, before we get to the last segment here with Teddy Covers coming up next, any last words of advice, man, going into week five college football to all the sports betters out there? Wow, you know, one thing I can just, I can really briefly give you one of my philosophies, Drew, and I think I hit on it a little bit as we were talking there, is that I kind of break the season into thirds. And, you know, we do a lot of work in the summer, and I kind of apply that to the first four weeks, 
and normally it's successful. It's got us off to a it's got us on a twenty and six run, but then as the numbers catch up and conference play starts, these next four games we have to make a little turn, a couple adjustments here, and find other things to go ahead and bet on or fade. And I'm in that phase right now, but I think we do have a lot of stuff that's live and a couple of things that will probably remain live from the first four weeks. So that's just a little philosophical thing that I follow. I kind of split the season into thirds, four, four, and four. Great stuff, Robbie. As always, guys, check out his uh, handicapper page at sportsmemo.com. And don't forget the coupon code CFB499 at checkout for his full season rest of college football. Short break, and then we'll be right back with Teddy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 